Hello, hello, and welcome to the Reformed Singaporean Podcast. Reformed Singaporean podcast. Well, I'm Chris, the Reformed Singaporean that the title refers to. Now, it has been a while, hasn't it? It feels like quite a long time since I last recorded an episode. But yeah, we're back and glad to be back. Now, I hope all of you have been doing well. I hope all of you have been keeping up with the series thus far. We were talking about what is the gospel? What is the message of Christianity? And so far, we've been covering a whole wide variety of topics. So far, we have talked about who God is, His holiness, justice, perfection. We've learned about who we are as human beings. We are sinners. We are enemies of God, deserving of wrath. And also, we learn about Jesus, who was God, who came in human flesh to live a perfect sinless life and to die the death that we should have died, to face the wrath of God on our behalf, so that whoever believes in Christ, whoever believes in what He has done for sinners, can have the promise of forgiveness of sins, peace with God, and eternal life. Now, that that is, in essence, what the message of Christianity is all about. But I think an equally important aspect of what the message is all about is how do we respond? How are we to respond afterwards? And I think that's what we're going to be covering in today's episode. We'll be covering what, what comes after in this episode and the next We'll be finishing up this series by really talking about what comes after hearing the message. If we were to share this with our non-Christian family members, our non-Christian friends, we would definitely have to tell them uh, not just the message, but what should be the proper response. So the focus for today will be the topic of repentance and sanctification. Two very big words, and I think two topics that are very misrepresented, misunderstood, and neglected in today's church. Okay, do, do, we don't even need to talk about how the world has no concept of these things, but we also have to talk about more so why the church has zero to, or even if they have, even if they have some understanding of these concepts, they are vastly misunderstood. First of all, let, let's start by talking about repentance. Now, what is repentance? Well, first of all, before I get into the definition, just know that it is something that John the Baptist and Jesus himself were very big. Um, yeah, it, it was very big to them. These were very huge topics that they did not take lightly. We can look at the beginning of John the Baptist's ministry that he was proclaiming a baptism of repentance, a message of for the forgiveness of sins. Okay? In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says, uh, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Okay, you see this whole message of repent, repent. Uh, the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2, he says, Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. See, the apostles, Jesus himself, they were all very big on this word, repentance. Now, what, what does that word even mean? Let's look at the Greek. 
The Greek word for repentance is metanoia, which means to change one's mind. Okay, very often you, you can ask Christians today and you can ask them, what, what do they think of repentance? What do they think it means? And m- most people, they'll give one of, of three answers. Is repentance something you do, something you say, or something that you think? And the answer that most Christians today would give is that repentance is something that we do. But my friends, that is not exactly correct. Doing, uh, having a change of our actions is a result of repentance, but it is not repentance itself. My friends, the Greek word metanoia is to change your mind. So yes, repentance is fundamentally something that we do with our mind. We have to change our mind in terms of what we believe about who God is, what we believe about our sin, and what we believe about what we should do. And repentance is conforming our understanding of these things to what God reveals in His Word, to God's definition of these things. Because the Bible talks about the mind as rather the core of our very being. The mind or the heart is what determines everything else. A change of the mind would change everything else. So you could say that once we change our mind, it will be natural. To, uh, it will be a natural process that what we say and what we do will change as well. It is the outflow of what has been fundamentally changed, our mind. Okay. Now it's important that we differentiate two kinds of regrets. Okay, Re- two kinds of so-called repentance. There's metamelamai, which talks about a worldly kind of repentance, and this is a worldly kind of sorrow. For example. I felt bad that I cheated in my test. Or I felt bad that I lied to my parents. And I hope that I do not get caught. Okay, that is the worldly kind of repentance that means nothing to God. Uh, And we can see that at least two people, I'm pretty sure there are more, but there are at least two people in the Bible that experience this kind of metamelamai, this kind of worldly sorrow, worldly so-called repentance. And that is Esau. Esau from the Old Testament, he's one of them. He experienced a worldly kind of sorrow, but I don't think he was exactly forgiven by God for that kind of sorrow. Another person was Judas Iscariot, the person who betrayed Jesus, the person who sold his loyalty off to the Jewish leaders to send Jesus to be crucified for a mere 30 pieces of silver. Uh, Judas, after that, he felt bad for betraying Jesus and he went to hang himself. (laughs) What a way to... You know, so-called absolve yourself of your sins, right? Just, you know, hang yourself. And of course, that's not the right way we should approach uh, our kind of sorrow that we feel over our sin. Because those examples show that there is a kind of sorrow over the wrongs that we have done, but it's not really a, I'm sorry to God. No, I'm sorry. I want to apologize to God for my sins. I know that I've wronged God and I want to be forgiven. I want to... Uh, please him. No, no, no. This definition of repentance is that I merely feel bad for the consequences of my actions and I feel bad that I got caught. But in terms of doing it itself, I'm actually really okay with it. And my friends, this is not the biblical rep- repentance that God is looking for. Okay, This is the kind of repentance that, will, that God will not forgive. This is the kind of repentance that only brings death. Now, with those two definitions out of the way, let, let, let's turn to scripture, shall we? Because actually the topic of repentance or this kind of sorrow is not a New Testament thing. It is not some new teaching that Jesus and the apostles brought in but was foreign to the Old Testament. Actually, if you look at the Old Testament, the people of God showed their 
repentance in a variety of ways. Okay, if you look at the the old Jewish customs and laws, people had to go through specific rituals to kind of show their repentance. I think last time the 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 old the old system of the law uh, in terms of forgiveness of sins, people could express their repentance by following those laws. People could express their sorrow against God, uh, sorry, sorrow against committing offense against God uh, by sacrificing the the blood of bulls and goats, for example. Uh, You look at the story of Jonah, Nineveh. When Jonah preached to Nineveh and Nineveh was repentant, no, they, they covered themselves with sackcloth. And it's quite funny because even the animals, they covered even their animals with sackcloth. When you look at Job, when Job gets rebuked by God towards the end of the book, Job says, No, I repent, I am but dust and ashes. Okay. So you uh and lastly, you know, I'm sure this is not an, an extensive list. I, I'm pretty sure I did not cover every every example, but one more example I can think of is in Psalm 51, where King David says to God, against you and you only have I sinned. You know, wash me, search my heart, wash me of all my sin, make me uh, you know, white as snow. Uh, there are many Psalms where David writes in this kind of manner, where David really expresses his remorse and grief towards God after committing some sins. And yeah, I, I, mean, I hope you can see that the whole concept of repentance is not foreign. It's not new. It is not a New Testament thing. Okay, it's what God has always expected of His people since the beginning. Okay, God also says in His Word that a broken and contrite spirit I will not despise. I will not despise. And He also says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And that's a big part of what repentance is: is that we. We as broken sinners, we as you know, Christians, yes, Christians sin, by the way. <laughs> we still sin. We, still, we are still in the flesh. And there are times where we will fall. But even when we fall, we express a brokenness. And, and, and we go to God saying, I've had enough of this. You know, I'm sick and tired of dwelling in this sin. I'm sick and tired for falling for his lies. God, wash me, make me new, lead me by your spirit, cause me to walk in your statutes. Okay, now let's look. I think 2 Corinthians chapter 7 is a great place for us to go to as well because Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Let's quickly flip there. Now he says, uh, starting from verse 1, he says, Since we have these promises, and, and, and it says, in essence, Paul is talking about how God will dwell with his people, how God will tabernacle among his people which has already happened because of Christ. Uh, I will be their God. They shall be my people. I will be a father to you. You shall be sons and daughters of the Lord Almighty. Okay, so so, uh, many great promises. And Paul is saying that since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Yeah, so Paul starts off the chapter like that by saying that since we are made new since we are Christians since we have already believed in the gospel in the finished work of Christ on our behalf let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit bringing holiness and complete to completion in the fear of God you see how the holiness of God helps us to understand how we should be holy as well because we as Christians we want to please God we want to 
not no longer live for ourselves, but since now we love God, we want to be like God in terms of our conduct, our beliefs. And thus, um, Paul commands the church and Paul commands even us today to pursue holiness just as God is holy. Now, Paul goes on in the uh, same chapter, verse 8, okay, starting from verse 8. Uh, he says, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Okay, even if I made you sad because I wrote to you, because Paul writes a lot of harsh things to the church to scold them, rightly so. Okay, Paul says that even if you gr- grieved over my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a little while, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. Verse 10, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief, again, see, metamelamai and metanoia, the two differences, whereas worldly grief produces death, for, for, for see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. Now, basically Paul is saying that I, I write these things to scold you, <laughs> to rebuke you of your sin, to produce a repentance so that you would change your mind, metanoia, so that you would walk in God's ways, you would turn from your sinful ways and, and be zealous for holiness. Okay, in essence, that's what Paul is saying. And Paul is actually glad that he made them grieve because this was necessary. It was necessary to say the hard things. It was necessary to offend them at that point of time because this was to turn them towards holiness, to turn them back on the right path. Now, there's just one passage which talks a little bit about what Godly grief versus worldly grief is. How godly grief is synonymous with biblical repentance. Now, an objection that some people might have to this is that, isn't repentance a work? Don't, aren't we supposed to believe in the gospel by grace alone, through faith alone? You know, isn't repentance something that we do? You know, and in essence, isn't, wouldn't repentance be something that would warrant God's favor? No, no. Please pause a moment and, and think about that. Think about that. Is repentance really a work? Is repentance really something that we do? Now come. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let's quickly flip there. I mean, that, that's a good question. Okay? And I hope that's a question that comes to our mind when we study this topic. Because I'm sure there are people out there who would you know, try to, to find every nook and cranny to expose... Um, or, or to try and debunk what we believe in. But my friends, let's look. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse, uh, yes, verse 24 and 25. He says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, so that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth so that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. In, in, in this letter, in this part, Paul is just saying that whoever is the Lord's servant, as they reach out to an unbeliever, must be gentle and loving, so that perhaps God will grant the unbeliever repentance, 
that will lead them to a knowledge of the truth and escape the clutches of the devil. Now, notice that it says that repentance is something that God grants. Repentance is actually a gift from God. Repentance is only possible because God grants it to us. God gives it to us. Just like how it is that we are not able to believe in Christ unless the Holy Spirit convicts us, unless the Holy Spirit gives us new hearts. Likewise, it is that it is impossible for us to truly turn from our sin unless God grants it to us. So repentance is not a work of our own. It is not something that we do, but it is an ability that God first gives to us. Okay? Without God, we can never repent. Now imagine, uh, just a hypothetical scenario. Uh, a man is dying. He's short of breath. He's, he's, he needs a hospital. He needs to get to a hospital ASAP. So imagine this man who really can't do anything. He, he struggles to even call the ambulance and he says, Lord, help me. Bring me to the hospital quick. You know, and of course, he gets brought to the hospital and he's, he's saved. Okay. Would you say that that man saved himself? I mean, the, that, that, that crying out for help is a work? No. I mean, in fact, it is the paramedics that saved him. You know, all he did was cry for help and to some degree, that's what repentance is. It is a cry to God for help that we know that we cannot save ourselves, we can't do anything, and it is God that puts us back on the right path. Okay, take, take another example. Uh, a man has an affair, okay? Extramarital affair. A married man sleeps with another woman and he gets caught. Now, he could respond in either one of two ways. He can just, uh, on one hand, he can respond with the worldly grief and say that, oh, man... I got caught. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna have an affair again. Please forgive me. And, and maybe the wife, out of love, just for, forgives him. But of course, we know that the man's heart wasn't really changed, and it wouldn't be a surprise if he gets into another affair soon enough. Or the man could respond by saying, "You know, wife, I I I know what I did wrong. Please forgive me. If you want to divorce me." It's fine. If you want to leave me, it's fine. I know I deserve it, but please, please, if you will, in your good graces, please forgive me. Take me back to you. Reconcile me to you. Please. I know I don't deserve it, but please forgive me. And if the wife forgives him, if the wife indeed does forgive him, would we say that the man deserves to be forgiven? Deserves to be forgiven? I mean, of course not. (laughs) The man doesn't deserve to be forgiven, but the wife, out of her good graces, she does it anyway because... Yeah, she shows him grace. She shows him love, mercy. And to some degree, again, that's a little bit about what, that's a little bit like how repentance is. You know, we we really, we mess up a lot. As Christians, there's no such thing as a perfect Christian. At least on this side of eternity, we, uh, you know, before Christ comes again, we are not able to live perfectly. We will stumble. But as, um, as a man called Paul Washer puts it, he says that in the Christian life, there is no such thing as a backslidden Christian. We will always be maybe one step back, but God brings us two steps forward. And in our sin, maybe we go two steps back, but God brings us three steps forward. God will make sure that we do not deviate off the path. God will keep us there because God is the one who first brought us on the path. Okay? That is the great assurance that we have as Christians. But of course, that is not the main topic for today. But in essence, that kind of goes along with what repentance is all about. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve to be forgiven by God. But repentance is a way for us to, yes, express our godly sorrow, to say that, God, I'm sick of living for myself. I'm sick of pleasing the flesh. Lord, I want to please you. Please help me. No, Lord, help me. 
and and by God's grace, um, it is actually true repentance that we too are also reminded of the gospel. We're reminded that first and foremost, we are saved by grace, true faith, not by our works, not by anything that we do. So, and actually, that is what will keep us going. That will, that is what will keep us going in our fight to kill sin, our fight to put sin to death. Okay, that's another thing that we are called to do. There's no such thing as a, a Christian that that claims that he believes in God, but but still does not want to put his sin to death. He does not want to wage war with his himself. You know, there's no such thing as a Christian who claims to be born again, but really the way that he lives his life, the way that he thinks, speaks, and acts is exactly the same, or rather hardly any difference to his old life. Okay, there's no such thing as a so-called carnal Christian. Okay, whoever is in Christ is a new creation, and with a new creation comes new desires, new beliefs, and a renewed, yes, a renewed will. Okay, yes, I said it, a renewed will. God changes our affections, God changes the way we think, and God changes the way we do things, and God changes our will. Okay, that's what the Holy Spirit does. It conforms and renews our mind to the mind of Christ. Okay, so if you indeed have faith in Christ, true saving faith in Jesus, it will show in the way that uh, you live your life. It will be evident. There will be fruits. Jesus himself says, Matthew chapter 7, that you will know the fake Christians and the real Christians by their fruit. Okay, when Jesus was accused for, you know, for, for being a sinner, I think it was Matthew chapter 11, when Jesus was accused of eating te- with tax collectors, uh, hanging out with, with prostitutes and, and all, these, all these people who were looked down on by society, Jesus actually said to them, wisdom is known by her children. Wisdom is revealed by her children. And what does he mean by that? He says that you will know true wisdom by what it produces. You will know uh, that what I'm doing, what I'm saying is really true, true wisdom by the fruit that it produces. And in a similar principle, you will know a true Christian by the fruit that it produces. Okay? Now, that's more or less what repentance is. There's some other places we could go to. But repentance is an ongoing work, an act rather, of the Christian. It is not a work that saves us, but it is work that we are doing daily after we are saved, after we are made new, after we are given uh, a new spirit, a new heart. Okay, that from God. Now, let's quickly talk about sanctification. Now, sanctification is very closely linked to repentance. But rather, sanctification is the lifelong process that a Christian has to go through uh, to be conformed more and more to the image of Christ. Now, one place I'm thinking of is Romans chapter 8. Now, Romans chapter 8 itself covers a little bit about repentance and covers a little bit (laughs) about sanctification as well. Because Paul in Romans chapter 8, is talking about life in the spirit and life in the flesh. It talks about how really the flesh is flesh, the spirit is spirit, they're op- uh, they on opposing ends, there's no middle ground. Okay, It says, therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's verse 1. And he goes on to talk about how um, for, for those who live according to the flesh, verse 5, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. 
For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you would put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, uh, that is from Romans chapter 8, verse 5, all the way to verse 14. Uh, and in that whole chunk, Paul is simply saying that Really, by the Spirit, we are supposed to live according to the deeds of the Spirit. By the Spirit, we are supposed to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Okay, and that is the lifelong battle of the Christian. And that battle is going to be hard. Okay? Jesus did not call us to an easy life. Jesus told us to count the cost before following Him. He gives a little parable or an example. He says, um, doesn't a king consider his army before going to war with another army? If he has... Uh, I can't remember the exact numbers for now, but maybe he says, if, if, if the king's army has 10,000 men, would he go to battle with an army of 20,000 men? Wouldn't he first sit down and consider the cost before doing so? Or uh, a, con- a contractor who wants to build a high tower, wouldn't he consider the materials that he has before starting on the project to build that high tower? And likewise, no, Jesus calls us to count the cost. Jesus calls us to count what we are about to lose. What do we have to give in order to follow Jesus? And that answer is everything. Okay, he who cannot pick up his cross daily cannot follow me. You know, Jesus says, he, Jesus is calling us to die. Jesus didn't call us to live our best life now. Jesus didn't call us to live a comfortable life. Jesus didn't call us to you know, believe in him so that we can spend every day watching Netflix or, or you know, to believe in him so that we can just uh, have a good job live a comfortable life, live the Singaporean dream. No, Jesus calls us to die, die to ourselves, and to live for His glory, to preach the gospel and to kill our sin, to repent, to be sanctified, and so on and so forth. Okay, Jesus calls us to all these things. Christian life is hard, boys <laughs> and girls. It's not an easy task, but my friends, it is the most rewarding task we could ever, um, you know, we could ever get on. Jesus, while he promises that the life here is not easy, but he, he will promise that we will be rewarded eternally. We will be reward, rewarded. No. When he comes again, no, when, he, when the new creation comes about uh, fully and completely, you know, that's when we will reign with him and that's when we will have our due reward. And that is better than all the so-called earthly treasures that we could ever heap up from our, for ourselves here on earth. Now, let us continue. Romans 8 verse 28. I want to bring us to this verse which is also so highly distorted. Okay, it is so highly distorted. Romans chapter 8 verse 28, it says that, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. Now, a lot of people would cherry-pick this one verse and say that, Yeah, God wants the good, the best for me. God wants to do me good. 
God wants to just bless me. He does not want any harm to come to me. Right? He wants to babysit me. You know, that's what some people will believe. But my friends, really, you, you only look, need to look at the next two verses to properly understand verse 28. Because we, we see here that for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What these three verses mean, my friends, is that God's purpose for each and every one of us. Okay, a lot of people want to question God's will for their life. What does God want for me? And they, they, they try to look for signs and wonders. They try to look for some vision. But my friends, all these things have already been revealed in the scriptures. You just need to open your Bible and read. Okay, the will of God is simple. The will of God for every single Christian without question, without discussion, without any need for debate is our sanctification. It is our conformity to the image of Christ. It is our putting to death the deeds of the flesh and putting on the deeds of the spirit. Okay, he calls us the good that God wants for each and every one of us. It's not necessarily our happiness. Okay, this good doesn't really translate to our happiness necessarily, but it is to translate that we will, no matter what it takes, will be conformed to the image of Christ. That means that we, if need be, we will have to go through suffering. If need be, we will have to lose certain things in our life. Whatever it takes, God will use whatever, in whatever means He deems best to transform us more into like, uh, more like His Son. Okay? It, uh, God will do whatever it takes to make us more like Christ. Now, that, that's a very different understanding of the verse compared to what most Christians today believe it to be. And uh, just to go to one more passage of Scripture to talk about sanctification okay, before I wrap up today's episode. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 1 and 2 uh, onwards. Okay, verse 1 onwards. He says that, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in, the, in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warn you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness." Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not men, but God, who gives His Holy Spirit to you. Again, it is so simple, my friends. It is so straightforward. The will of God that is also explained here is our sanctification. The will of God for every single Christian, for every single person who professes faith in Jesus Christ, is to live a life that is different, set apart from the rest of the world. You are called to be different. You are called to be followers of Christ. Not, um, no, not followers of yourselves, but with a little bit of Christ added on top. But no, 
Jesus is not an addition to your life. Jesus is your life. And what the call of Christianity is, is to repent and to believe in Christ. And what the repentance will look like is an ongoing killing of sin, is an ongoing dying to yourself and putting on the new self. Okay, putting on Christ-likeness. Okay, we are supposed to hate the things that we used to, the sin that we used to love, and now we're supposed to love the things that we're supposed to hate, which is actually the things of God. Okay, we're supposed to live as new creatures and new creations. Now, are Christians supposed to be perfect? By no means. No, <laughs> Christians are not going to be perfect, at least on this side of eternity. Okay, but we know that we have the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit, we can, okay, yes, we can put to death the deeds of the flesh. Even if we seem that the sins they were struggling with now are so great, are so difficult. Look, my, my friends, we must know, we must remember that this is a supernatural work. That repentance is a gift of God. It is not a work. It does not grant us salvation. But Lord, uh, but, but my friends, we are supposed to be comforted in the fact that because we are saved, that, that because we are Christians, we have the Holy Spirit and thus we have the ability you know, to put to death our old selves. So it's not so much the perfection of one's life, but rather the direction of one's life that testifies of being a Christian. Okay, it's not, let me say that again. It is not the perfection of the Christian life, but rather the direction of the Christian life that proves our faith, that, that shows that our faith is genuine and not a mere profession. So we talk about repentance, which is a change of mind that will change everything else. And we talk about sanctification, which is the direction that our lives are supposed to take. And we know that our sanctification will only be complete when, when Christ comes again to, to complete the new creation. And that's when Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 really comes to full light. It says that he who began a good work in you will bring to, uh, will bring to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Okay, let me say that again. Philippians 1 verse 6, And he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. My friends, I hope that encourages you. I hope that helps um, you know, all of us who are listening to have a better understanding of really what biblical repentance and sanctification is. And I hope we also realize how important this is because so many people might hear the gospel in some shape or form, but they do not know what to do afterwards. And my friends, that would be a shame. That would be a shame if there were people out there who really wanted to believe in Christ, but they did not know what to do. Okay, my friends, the Bible lays out everything for us. The Bible lays out for us everything that we need to know in this life, you know, for the whole of Christian life. And my friends, let us follow what God tells us to do. So till next time, uh, which we'll be talking about the last episode. I, I, I'm quite excited for that as well. We'll be talking about the kingdom of, of God. Until then, God bless.